chief meteorologist at WSBN TV in South Florida. And this is Weather or Not. Hello and welcome to the inaugural edition of Weather or Not, where we will talk weather, space, and all things science. Hurricane season kicked off this week, and the experts at the National Hurricane Center are calling for 13 to 20 name systems, out of which 6 to 10 can become hurricanes, and out of that number, 3 to 5 may reach major hurricane status. Those are systems having winds of over 111 miles per hour. The forecast is well above the new normals of 14 named systems, 7 hurricanes, and 3 major storms. The old numbers were 12, 6, and 3. The new averages have gone up due to an increase in tropical activity over the last 30 years. So what does this forecast mean? Does it tell you where a storm will make landfall? Um, The seasonal forecast is really just an indication of the number of storms that we're expecting to form anywhere in the Atlantic Ocean. But there's something else that doesn't tell us. An expert at the National Weather Service will clue us in. Also in this issue, for only the second time in hurricane history, the National Hurricane Center ran out of names in 2020 and was forced to use the Greek alphabet. But using those Greek letters proved confusing at times. So the World Meteorological Organization is doing away with them altogether. Meteorologist Vivian Gonzalez will unravel the name controversy, but that's not all. Two major hurricanes developing towards the end of the season? Check. Ten storms in one month? Check. Twelve making landfall across the coastal U.S.? Check. But wait, there's more. Meteorologist Erica Delgado brings us the 2020 Records Review. We begin with my good friend Robert Moyeda, Warning Coordination Meteorologist at the National Weather Service in Miami, Florida. He's going to help us launch our segment, Seven Questions. Seven Questions. Thank you so, so much for doing this with me. Uh, I'm kind of excited. This is my first podcast, and so we're keeping our fingers crossed. I'm honored. We are going to do a segment called Seven Questions. One. You know, they've already released the seasonal outlooks, and uh, so this year, um, what are are they telling us? What is that forecast from the National Hurricane Center really telling us? Um, The seasonal forecast is really just an indication of the number of storms that we're expecting to form anywhere in the Atlantic Ocean. I mean, that's, you know, area that covers uh, from the west coast of Africa all the way across the Atlantic to the Caribbean Sea, the Gulf of Mexico, the North Atlantic. It's a really large area. So, you know, it's that what that forecast is not telling us is where storms may form during the season and what areas might or might not be impacted. That, that's something that we just don't have that level of skill and detail to know this far in advance where storms might hit later in the season. So it's really, it's, a, it's just an indication of what the large scale global weather patterns are telling us and how they might relate into how many storms might form in that vast area. That's pretty much what it is. Two. How do you forecast tropical rain totals and how do you narrow which areas might see the worst? 
Well, like if, like with every other aspect of hurricane and weather forecasting, you know, we use our computer models to, to help us at least point us in the right direction. Um, so, and then from there, then we, we rely on local knowledge, uh, local expertise to try to fine-tune that information as much as possible. So, you know, the, the models are certainly getting much better in general, whether it's forecasting the tracks of storms, uh, forecasting rainfall in certain areas, uh, but they're not perfect. And the, the thing that we've, that we've learned a lot in the past with tropical systems is they can not only bring a lot of rain to areas, but they can bring in at least in isolated locations a lot more rain than what the general forecast is indicating. When it comes to forecasting rainfall, especially for tropical systems is, you know, how much, you know, if somebody asks, how much rain am I going to get? Well, this is an average what we expect for an area, but you can see more and you can see a lot more. How much more? That's what's really hard for us to uh, to forecast well in advance. You know, we know that there are, there, you know, there are particular areas in South Florida that are more vulnerable than others, you know, of course, being a, a, a an urban area, you know, the uh, the lot of asphalt, concrete, etc., makes it hard for water to seep down into the you know below the surface. So when the water tries to run off, if there's already a lot of rain falling, then that water is not really has nowhere to go. It's just going to pond and accumulate, and that's what causes a uh, you know a lot of the urban flooding issues that we have here in South Florida, especially, and it's magnified that much more during tropical events. Three. Speaking of water, storm surge or that wall of water that right. gets pushed in during a hurricane, how difficult is that to forecast or the impact of that? Yeah, I mean, I think like like with any other aspect of tropical forecasting, you know, if it's a well-behaved storm, we I think you know we do a fairly decent job in general of forecasting the the areas where where the highest threat will be. For example, Southeast Florida is under a threat of you know three to five feet of storm surge, especially, you know, right, right near the coast, then as the storm gets closer, you know, th then we can begin to narrow down which areas may experience the highest amount. In most cases, we're not going to really be able to tell you with 100% confidence where that storm, the highest storm surge will be until the storm is really close to us. So, you know, because of the because of the nature, the, you know, the, the dangerous nature of storm surge, we have to put out watches 48 hours before. And uh, related to that, then local officials have to make evacuation orders based on a lot of this information. And they have to make that, those decisions well in advance, really when our level of certainty as far as where the storm is going to go and where exactly the impacts are going to be is still rather limited. You know, we can't wait until we know for sure. By that time, it's too late. What I would say to, to everyone here is take that threat seriously. You know, we, let's hope that all we get from a storm surge is just a threat and not the actual event. So storm surge, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the number one killer in hurricanes. We, have to, we just have to take it seriously. And, you know, we do our very, very best to try to be as precise as possible with the forecasting of storm surge, given the amount of uncertainties that are involved in this the relatively small nature of the area that it affects. Four. Now, whenever there's a threat across South Florida, should folks who live in mobile homes stay in their homes when a storm is threatening? Well, I know uh, local officials will generally order evacuation of mobile homes. Um, you know, especially even they may even do it with a tropical storm, you know, tropical storm winds, especially in the upper end of the tropical storm scale. We're talking 60, 65, 70 miles an hour. 
uh, those are strong enough to to damage mobile homes. So, you know, I know, and I know, especially for hurricane force winds, they uh, usually the, the the counties will will order evacuations of the mobile homes. So, yeah, I mean, mobile homes are just a totally different story when it comes to you know the 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 ability to to withstand strong winds. But you know, our recommendation always is, you know, it, and this is something that the local officials keep in mind. Uh, if evacuation orders are issued, whether it's for storm surge or whether it's for wind in, in areas like mobile home parks, you know, make sure, we've got to make sure that we heed those orders. Five. We always get asked, which is the best model to look at? Do you have a go-to model? Well, I mean, we, we, we use a consensus approach. So what does that mean? We look at different models. In other words, you know, we, we, you know yes, we know uh, people to follow uh, the weather forecasting models, especially during hurricane season, you know, they, they know that the, uh, the European model is one of the most, if not his, at least, you know, historically speaking, probably the most, the most accurate model. But the American model, the GFS model is very good as well. The, the, that GFS model is, has been upgraded this year. So we expect even better performance from that model. We're looking at the entire range of reliable forecast models and really using that as our guide for making the forecast. And, you know, it's not just one particular forecast. We have, you know, we're doing, you know, six hour forecast here. So, you know, a typical storm, uh, we could be doing these forecasts for a week, 10 days, sometimes even two weeks. So we're, so, or as time goes, we we're getting a better and better sense of how these models are, are performing you know, throughout the history of that storm, and we're able to use that to our advantage. You know, we're able to, you know, again, using that consensus approach has really worked well for us when it comes to forecast accuracy. Six. During a storm threat, Channel 7 provides plenty of local impact information, but your office issues a detailed hurricane product, which I love. Can you tell our listeners how to find it? Yeah, uh, if you go to weather.gov forward slash Miami, that's our website where, you know, all the local weather information is contained. And, of course, during hurricane season, uh, not only are we uh, providing the hurricane center forecast, but as you mentioned, we, we, what we do is we take that hurricane center forecast and we basically bring it down to as local of a level as possible. So that we, we know really we get down to the city and even neighborhood level in order to detail the, the the level of potential impacts that we could get from that storm. So yes, we we take the uh, the forecast track and intensity of that storm, and then we then use you know basically we we, we also look at the how large of a wind field the storm has, well, the, the the amount of rain or you know where the rain bands are setting up. We take all that information. And then we also take into account the possibility that the track could shift. You know, we just can't assume that that any hurricane center forecast is going to be right on the money. Many times it's really, really close. But even small deviations, you know, one way or the other from that forecast track can make a pretty big difference when, you, when you're drilling it down to the local level. You know, and that's really what it comes down to for us is, you know, tr- being able to drill it down as locally as we can. So the, we, we have these 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 maps, these graphics that we call potential threat and impact maps, that basically for each of the main hazards of the storm, you know, we look at the wind, the wind field, the tornadoes, the storm surge, the rainfall flooding, and we, and we, and we basically indicate what the potential threat is in a color scale. 
for each of those hazards. And it's updated with every forecast. And it's going to be at that, you know, weather.gov forward slash Miami. Uh, we'll usually have it up at the top part of the page. We'll even have the graphics already on the page there. And I know you all show it also on the air, which is great because it, try, it sends the, uh, a consistent message. So, yes, those maps go be what I like to say is it goes beyond the cone. So the cone tells us where the center of the storm is more likely to go. I think it's a great product. We rely on it greatly, and we thank you guys for everything you do. Final question. Seven. What is your gut feeling for this season? <laughs> you know, as meteorologists, we're not supposed to answer that question. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that, that's a trick question. No, I, I, you know, honestly, and I'm being totally honest here, uh, my gut feeling is I don't know. You know, I could guess. Now, if we go based on history, just based on our, our track record, odds are in, a, in any given hurricane season, we're going to get at least, you know, a scare. We have to be ready for, at the very least, at the very, very least, a close call where we may have to put, you know, our, our plan into action. And hopefully it'll be a near miss. Um, but we have to be ready for the potential that we might get hit. You know, that's just the reality of our, you know, of our climate and our hurricane history here in South Florida. You are correct. We do have to be ready. Robert, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for doing this and uh, hope that we have a quiet season. And once again, your contribution to my first podcast is fabulous. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you, Phil. It was, ple- it was, it was a pleasure and uh, take care and good luck. This is the Weather or Not podcast. You can find us on Apple, Google, or Spotify with a new issue every Tuesday. 2020 brought us many records. The National Hurricane Center ran out of names and resorted to using the Greek alphabet to track systems. But that is changing. Meteorologist Vivian Gonzalez tells us what the National Hurricane Center will do if we run out of names again. Theta, theta, eta. In 2020, it was tough to keep track of which storm was which and what storm was going where. For only the second time since records began in 1851, tropical names were exhausted and we had to rely on the Greek alphabet to follow the storms. The last time we resorted to this tactic was the record-setting year of 2005. But then 2020 happened. Amid a pandemic, last year set a record for the amount of storms in one season, with 30 named systems, 13 hurricanes, and six major storms. But using those Greek letters proved confusing at times. So the World Meteorological Organization is doing away with them altogether. New for 2021, if we run out of names, a supplemental list has been added. We start with the normal list. Anna, Bill, Claudette, Danny, Elsa, Fred, Grace, Henri, Ida, Julian, Kate, Larry, Mindy, Nicholas, Odette, Peter, Rose, Sam, Teresa, Victor, and Wanda. If we use up all of those, here's the brand new supplemental list of names that will replace the Greek alphabet. Adria, Braylon, Caridad, Dishan, Emery, Foster, Gemma, Heath, Jacobus, Kenzie, Lucille, Michaela, Nolan, Orlanda, Pax, Ronan, Sophie, 
Tayshon, Viviana, and Will. For the 7 Weather Podcast, I'm meteorologist Vivian Gonzalez. Thank you, Vivian. Setting a record for the amount of tropical systems was not the only mark eclipsed in 2020. Numerous other categories were also shattered. Meteorologist Erica Delgado has the record review. Tropical activity started early in 2020 and ended late. Get ready for the numbers because there are plenty. Are you ready? Here we go. 12 storms made landfall in the contiguous United States, beating the record of nine set in 1916. Of those 12, five hit Louisiana, setting another record for most landfalls in a single state in a season. Ten storms formed in the month of September, the most on record for any month. Then two major hurricanes, Ada and Iota, organized in November, marking the first time this has ever happened. Iota also reached Category 5 intensity in November, setting another record for the strongest storm to happen so late in the season. 2020 also marked a record fifth consecutive year with at least one Category 5 hurricane. But that wasn't the end of it. Not only did we have plenty of storms, but they came at us fast and earlier than usual. The first two systems last year did not set a record for early formation, but the third storm, Cristobal, did. Organizing June 2nd, three days earlier than the previous folder, Colin, which was back in 2005. The fourth storm did not set any benchmarks, but storms 5 through 30 organized earlier than usual, all setting records for early formation. We're keeping our fingers crossed for 2021 that it will be nothing like last year. For the 7 Weather Podcast, I'm meteorologist Erica Delgado. All right. Thank you, Erica. If you have a question that we can answer in an upcoming podcast or have a comment or suggestion, please send me an email at pfarrow at wsbn.com. Also, it would be really nice if you would subscribe to our humble podcast. You can always follow us on Twitter and Facebook at 7Weather and, of course, live on air at WSVN. I want to thank Stephen Sejas for all his technical help, Chris Crane for his original music, and, of course, Robert Moyeda from NWS Miami. On our next issue, I'll take you back in time to the age of dinosaurs, one you can see here in South Florida. That's in our next edition of Whether or Not, which drops June 8th. Until next time, I'm Chief Meteorologist Phil Farrell.